Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hello, my fellow suffering beings. One of the most problematic aspects of many of our lives, and certainly my life, is the inner critic, or as my guest today calls it, the inner tyrant. A friend of mine once remarked to me that if anybody else in his life said to him the kind of things that he says to himself, he would punch that person in the face. He was kidding, of course. He's nonviolent. Anyway, this kind of self-laceration is, in my opinion, culturally enforced. I definitely participate in capitalism, often very happily, but there are aspects of capitalism that are pretty noxious, including the parts that seem to want us to feel a creeping sense of always behindness and never enoughness. And social media, that nonstop FOMO machine, ceaseless engine of social comparison, certainly does not help. So today, in the words of my guest, we're going to discuss strategies for unseating the inner tyrant. My guest is Ajahn Suchito, who was raised in the UK, became a monk in 1975 in the lineage of the Thai forest master Ajahn Chah, Suchito later helped to establish a monastery in England, in West Sussex, to be exact, and he was the abbot there from 1992 through 2014. He still lives there while traveling around the world to teach. He's also an incredibly prolific author and deliverer of Dharma talks. In this conversation, we talk about the strategy of addressing our inner critic in the second person, you instead of me. We talk about our body's intelligence, a capacious definition of the word heart, which for me at least, is a little controversial. Why we often hear the advice to feel our feet in meditation circles, why we should not operate at 100%. He's quite funny about this, actually. The foolishness of turning our minds into courts of law, the Buddhist precepts or ethical guidelines and the utility for regular folks, and the essential nature of sangha or community. This is a fascinating interview with a very interesting man. And we will get started with Ajahn Suchito right after this. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first... 15, 20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. 
As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter, and you need that kitty litter to do the job, which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long-lasting ammonia control. So your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs, and it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. Tidy Care Alert uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. Ajahn Suchito, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Yeah. You know, I I was preparing to do this interview with you, and there are so many things I could talk to you about. And I had a whole list of things, and I'm kind of just throwing a dart at the wall and picking a random place to start. And here's what I've chosen somewhat randomly. You've written many books and also booklets. One of the titles of one of your booklets stuck out to me. And the title is Unseating the Inner Tyrant. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, it's amazing, isn't it? That one, everybody, everybody immediately gets it on some basic level. That we have this program in our minds that's continually criticizing us, attacking us, putting us down, complaining about us, can't give us any congratulations, no warm-heartedness towards ourselves. And it's always demanding we get better. We should be better than we are. It's a performance-driven thing. You can never appease it. Every time you do something, you could have done better. Somebody else has done it, or you did it for the wrong reasons. Here's something good because you're such an egomaniac, or you didn't do it good enough because you're really half-hearted, or you did it, you're really you know, stuck up in yourself, being so self-obsessive. It's always putting you down or criticizing you and demanding you do something better, which you can never achieve. So that's the inner tyrant. So the booklet's about clearing this thing, (laughs) acknowledging it and clearing it. That's the nature of the book. Because it's so insidious, you know, whatever I teach retreat, doesn't matter what it is, mindfulness of breathing, loving kindness, spacious awareness, it always comes back to people are basically experiencing obsessive thinking or self-criticism. So why don't we just deal with that? I'm surprised that you handle that in a book lit instead of a book or a series of books or the Encyclopedia Britannica. How did you tackle that in a book lit? I think originally it came from a talk, you see, one talk I gave, which we sort of took out and fluffed up a bit. So I just tried to refer to essentially cultivating the qualities of goodwill towards oneself. And if you can't start with that, then your meditation is never going to work. If you're starting to use a meditation as a performance, you know, to get somewhere, then already you're off on the wrong foot. 
So I tried to keep it brief because basically nowadays I don't know if people read long books. You know, people really like to pick up something they can get through. It's purse-sized, you know. That's what we find. So I try to keep it brief. How does one cultivate goodwill towards oneself? You start off feeling connected to the ground and to the space around you. Because we live in such a dislocated condition, we don't feel we're connected to anything naturally. You know, you're connected to your job as long as they don't sack you. You're connected to your partner unless she leaves you. You're connected to something else because you're good enough. You're not naturally connected. You're not innately connected. You have to work to get connected. You have to be good to get connected. You have to be nice to get connected. Then you get the connections because of your efforts. What's necessary is to realize the connection you don't have that's a given. It's given. You do breathe. You, you do sit. You can sit on the ground and you can just getting that and to feel you don't have to do anything apart from acknowledge and feel the sense of connection in your body. So you've got to get to your body. Basically, you know, most of your mental stuff is very programmed, psychological programmed into performance and into trying to be somebody who's good enough. But your body isn't. So if you get into the feeling of your body just sitting with nothing to do apart from just sit and feel the ground beneath you and recognize, hey, this is a gift. I don't have to do anything to be here. And then around me, space. I don't have to put on a costume. I don't have to put on a face. I don't have to shield myself against other people's intrusion, views, opinions, looks. I can just let it be. And so those two are given. You don't have to do anything. In fact, if you do something, you block it. Just open up to that sense of the given. And then it's amazing that pretty soon some quality of innate benevolence arises. Because why shouldn't you? You know, the heart feels good when it's benevolent. If it can return to a natural state, the heart's nature is benevolent. It's getting to return to the natural state is a significant thing. So the heart's state is naturally benevolent and empathic, sympathetic. Oh, how does it feel to be here? It's okay. Ah, enjoy, enjoy. And then you can start. Can you remember when somebody was good to you? Oh, yeah. How did that feel? Oh, yeah. Do you remember when she gave you that? Oh, yeah, that was really sweet. That was very nice, you know. Do you remember when they didn't do that? They forgave you for that? How was that? Oh, that was wonderful. you remember when you really lost it, you blew it all together, and somebody said, never mind, no problem. How did that feel? So you start catalyzing certain perceptions or bring up the sense of being loved, not harmed, forgiven, accepted, and you start to linger in those. And so when you start to get the channels open and enjoy it, then it begins to open up because it's natural. If this process was not natural, there would be no real awakening. Let me go back to the instructions you delivered there of you sit and notice that the mere fact of occupying a few square feet on the planet and breathing in the air that we all share and that it's the same air particles, you know, breathed in by the Buddha and Aristotle and 
everybody who ever walked on the planet, you are, without having to do anything, connected. I'm imagining that a lot of people will hear that and say, okay, but as soon as I sit down, all of these intrusive thoughts come rushing in. This nice stuff about people who did nice things for me or the fact that I'm innately connected, et cetera, et cetera. It just gets blotted out over and over and over again, and I get tired. Yeah, well, I mean, I think skip the stuff about Aristotle and the Buddha, because <laughs> that's a mental construction. you really got to get pretty physical with it. I mean, what helps so much is to develop the body's own awareness. The body has intelligence. Now, the simplest way to understand that is when you stand up and you try to balance. You can't do that through thinking it. Only your body knows how to do that. That's the example of bodily intelligence. It knows how to do that. It knows in its own way. So the body is naturally intelligent. Now, you know, we can go to just sitting and feeling, say if you're sitting on a on a chair or in that traditional meditation position, but I wouldn't make it too contrived, just feeling the weight of your body resting on the earth and letting the muscles relax in your legs. And you can start to visualize. So you can visualize the tree. That's one example of the Buddha you sitting at the root of a tree. So you imagine you are a tree or you're sitting underneath a tree. You get the sense of shelter. You get the sense of the roots of the tree. You get the sense of the timeless quality of the planet and just resting there. And then around me, it's space. No intrusion, no obstruction, nobody bothering me. I understand that mental stuff will come flooding in. Best thing is keep your eyes open. That always tends to diminish the torrent of mental occupations. Keep your eyes open. And um, even try to have a mental picture. You have to use your mind to do something. What's happening in my thighs? What's happening in my knees? How does it feel to be resting on the earth? So you've really got to get the mind to listen up to the body. Now, Often, you know, what might work better is to do it standing because standing is much more deliberate than sitting. When standing, your body has to wake up, otherwise you fall over. Just standing on two feet, soften your knees and feel the earth is carrying you. It's a little more full on than sitting. Sitting, you can more or less disappear. It's very passive. Standing is a little more active. You've got to actually be there, otherwise you lose your balance. So that, again, helps to upgrade the bodily aspect of it. Staying with the inner tyrant for a second, what is the attitude you recommend we have given the relentlessness of discursive thinking, given that we are going to get carried away often by obsessive self-assessment or self-criticism? To be very simple, call it you rather than me. It's a demon. The tyrant is a demon. It's a demon. So otherize this internal program. Yeah, yeah. You call it internal, but all you know is it's demonic. It possesses people. It drives people. It corrodes people. It sucks people's energies out. It it doesn't know good. This one sounds exactly like me, this demon. It's, It's a really smart character because he's taken my voice. (laughs) But there's a particular incessant quality to it. It's attacking something. It's okay. If there's two of us here, (laughs) the attacked 
and the attacker, they can't both be me. So I'll call the attacked one me because that's the suffering. The other thing I'll call, well, you. And what, so then you say, what do you want, Tyrant? What do you want? Start talking to it. I think it gives you a strategic counterbalance to the domination of that phenomenon. Once you deliberately differentiate between your, your heart and this program, and you address the program full on, somehow that some of the power is diminished. I notice in your tone of voice when you're in this process of unseating the tyrant, you're not meeting, from what I can hear, the aggression, the attack, with more aggression. You're meeting it with a playful mockery. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you give them anger, they feed on it. You give them goodwill, they starve. They can't feed on goodwill. So you start playing with it. Don't pick up the same language that the tyrant's using. Stand apart from it. This is where compassion starts. You said there's a difference between the you here, the tyrant that you're calling you, and me. And I think you referred to the me here as the heart. That's a term that's always tripped me up a little bit because it, it sounds a little like something from a Hallmark card. So what do you mean when you say heart? I mean the place that hurts, the place that rejoices, the place that feels terribly frightened, the place that wishes and aspires, that seeks uh, uh, truth, the emotional center and also the center of our intentions. Center of pleasure and pain on the mental level is the heart. Center of good and bad intentions, impulses is the heart. The sense of the frightened is the heart. The courageous is the heart. The compassionate is the heart. The distraught is the heart. The enlightened is the heart. I'm hearing it's kind of a sub-intellectual. It's everything that's not the discursive thinking. Correct. It motivates discursive thinking because it's desperate and, and confused. So it, it's seeking some certainties. Give me some ground. Give me some security. Give me some happiness. So it triggers off all its thinking stuff with the idea that would do it. So this is called chitta. The Buddhist word for it is chitta. Chitta. And this the intellect is another word, uh, manas. So you have this double act between chitra and manas. And I call it like the boss and the secretary. The boss is stuck in the office. The boss is saying, hey, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I want some, I want some. So the secretary rushes out, gets some burgers, runs back in. I don't like burgers. Okay. And rushes off, gets some ice cream, because in, wrong flavor ice cream. It knows basic instincts of hunger and desperation and tries to get the intellect to rush out and get something that will satisfy it. And it doesn't. Because what the chitta really wants to find is itself. That's the only thing that satisfies it, when it sits in itself. When it finds itself, when it sits in itself, what does that look like? What does that mean? <laughs> it means that instead of attention going out to sights and sounds, instead of intentions going out to doing and making and arriving and challenging and defeating and becoming and avoiding, intentions relax, attention turns back to the quality of heart, which is then just pure knowing or awareness. 
So intention is that directive, that impulse, that searching that goes on. We want to do something, and intention happens. If it's even just the scratch my head, there's an intention, get rid of that pain, scratch the head, right? That's an intention. Some volitional message gets sent down the nervous system, get rid of the pain, give me the pleasure. And that's happening all the time in various forms. That's intention. Now, as we know, you know, okay, you scratch your head, but then this itch comes up somewhere else. So, you know, it gives a temporary appeasement of restlessness, but it's not, it changes. So then, okay, we'll run something else now. So your intention has to go off and find something else to arrive at this quality of satisfaction, freedom, stress. And all these strategies are circumstantial and temporary. The more that you cultivate meditative practices, what happens is your intention starts to shift towards, rather than scratching my head, why don't I just find myself being at peace with it? I'll try and work with that. I'll think of people I know and send forth loving kindness. So intention turns back to the heart, which is going to provide a lot more richer and more satisfying food because you don't need to go anywhere for that. You can sit on a bus and develop the quality of loving kindness. It doesn't cost anything. You can be with your breathing. Direct your intentions in certain ways to aim this way, aim this way. And as you do so, you begin to recognize certain kinds of intention have a better result. If I'm forceful and impatient, that doesn't work. If I'm kind of, oh, I can't be bothered with this, doesn't work. The best thing is to be steady and keep at it and keep not worrying about success and failure, just keep gently trying again. Yes, gently, gently, gently rest in it, encourage it. So you begin to soften the quality of intention. You become gentler and gently. Your intention then is arriving at a place where its own quality is much more satisfying and pleasant. And gradually, that quality begins to suffuse the heart. And your intention begins to be less and less Unless, because you don't need to do very much, you are becoming satisfied. So the intention eventually just kind of can drop away. And it's just abiding in something blissful and peaceful. And that's jitta, jitta removed or jitta released from these outgoing compulsive reflexes, which we call, that release we call enlightenment or awakening. This is not lightweight stuff. It's decades of practice, but you realize even just generally getting your intention to be going the right place and sustainable and making you feel a sense of dignity and comfort and hold your head up and getting a little bit less reckless, less feisty, less grumpy. You know, this is good. This is good. 10% happier is beginning of 11% happier, 11% goes to 12%. You know, you keep adding it up, it's going to fill that glass. Realize, you know, if every moment counts, so any moment you're going into kind of irritation, negativity, that's a moment of your life wasted. Anytime you can turn it around with compassion, equanimity, good humor, then there's a little bit of your life has become valuable. And it's just simple arithmetic, you know, keep adding up the value and taking away the negative points. Coming up, Ajahn Suchito explains the 
seemingly ubiquitous advice in meditation circles to feel your feet. And he argues with no small amount of good humor that we should not be trying to operate at 100% all the time. That's after this. The weather's getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. It's spring and that means it's graduation season and I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favorite. Did you know that you can get personalized M&M's you can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, the graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. Uh, they showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% Happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled uh, when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% Happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&M's, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&M's, uh, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order. Isn't it also true that the more moments of mindfulness, equanimity, friendliness, you're conditioning even more of that? Whereas if you're training the mind toward irritation, ill will, you're conditioning more of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think the problem is, of course, people don't necessarily decide they want to condition their mind to ill will. They just get locked. It just gets to be a reflex. You know, if something annoys me, I'll blast them. <laughs> I've got no choice. That's what I do. It's all reflex. So with mindfulness, you're building in a non-reflex <laughs> Just give yourself 10 seconds, take a breath. Now, really, what do you want to put your mind on? Do you really want to do that and go down that route again? 
Or would you like to just try to go this way? Let go, yeah. Breathe in, breathe out. Don't mess your heart up with that corrosive stuff. And then, all right. Okay, one minute. Ah, thank goodness I didn't do that. That's it. And it's really realizing you do have a choice. You do have a choice. We have habits, but habits can be broken. But it does mean that stop, remember you have a choice, and make it. Even it's just as simple as just feel what's happening in your feet. Sometimes I recommend people say that. You know, they can't find anywhere in their mind. It's not seething, worried, anxious, negative. Say, okay, what's happening in your feet? Your feet aren't negative, are they? No, no fine. I'll just be there for a while. Just feel your feet. What's happening in your feet? Just get into your body. The simplest, most direct way possible. Because this is, this stuff, this negative stuff is deeply corrosive. And deeply ingrained. Deeply ingrained, deeply corrosive. You do have a choice. Now you might not say, I can't bring up lovely flowery thoughts of loving kindness, but I can feel the soles of my feet. Okay, we'll start with that. You just need to first of all unplug. Find a way of unplugging that's simple and direct. You don't have to be have a particular emotion associated with it. It's just a sheer shift of attention. And then linger until you feel that wave of emotion, that wave of hostility, fear, agitation. Just feel that wave arise and surge through and move on. You've brought us back to the body and looking at some of the titles of your talks that you've in your many, many talks you've given, you really do dwell on this. There's a whole talk about standing meditation, which you referenced. You've given a talk called Advice on Walking. Maybe it would make sense if you're up for it to get a little granular about your instructions for tuning into the body in meditation and in life. First of all, you've got to recognize that what you see is just your visual impression of your body, right? So that's one body. That's the visual body. Then probably you've got an idea of what you look like, which probably isn't very complimentary. That's your mental body. It's probably a suffering body. And you can recognize, say, when you're really angry, you've got a hot body, or you've got a body that's really bulging up in the head and your legs have gone. And when you're depressed, you've got a sunken chest body, right? And when you're frightened, you've got a tight gut body. And they're different bodies, aren't they? They're different experiences. You're looking at direct experience rather than the general idea we have of here I am, I'm five foot ten, I'm weigh whatever, 180 pounds, whatever it is. That's an idea. Yeah, it'll work. But it's not where you live. Your living direct experience is the feeling body, isn't it? And that feeling body isn't just about physical sensations, which, yeah, that's part of it. A lot of it's about emotional and psychological pressures occurring where you feel compressed, you feel tense, you feel relaxed, you know? So that's the body I'm talking about. You could say, if you like, it's neurology, neurological body. So let's just start to recognize, okay, well, how is it when I stand? What is this body when I stand? Sensations, There's something I call feet, like you don't need the visual appearance at all. Almost completely irrelevant. Sensations, okay, you get the sensations, those two pretty clear areas of sensation which you call your feet. Yeah? Is that how is that? They're kind of slightly vibrant. And pressures, okay. 
And anything else where you can feel maybe, okay, the sense of the back comes in. You've got a spine. Upright. Yeah, you're upright. Okay. And what else? It's now just simplify as much as possible. So you've just really got that upright axis, upright sense, and you've got the sense of the ground beneath you. Okay, right? Now, that's direct. You could be anywhere. You could be Hawaii, New York, it doesn't matter, because it's exactly the same in that sense. So you get stability, and how does it get more comfortable in itself? I can feel those shoulders dropping. I don't need them to be tight. I don't need my face to be tight. So you begin to simplify until you get a very cohesive bodily impression. And then there's some space around it. There's that. And why don't I just uh, relax into the, allow myself to fully experience the space, which is wrapped around this form. The space means the absence of pressure, no pressure, no intrusion, no achievement, nothing to become. Oh, breath has got stronger. Hmm. At least I call it breath. It's that rhythmic tide I recognize flowing through. And that rhythmic tide, which I call breathing, has become more rhythmic, more steady. And perhaps it's slowed down a little. And how is that? How is that? Is that agreeable? Disagreeable? How is that? How does it feel? What's it like to be with that fidgety mind? Well, okay, just invite the fidgety. You can be part of this. You come into the steady piece. Come on in, you're welcome. Let me breathe into you. Let me breathe through you. And then you might notice subtle things like, how long should I do this for? Am I supposed to do this for half an hour? Will it be difficult? And it's just, that's worry. Feel that energy breathing in, breathing out. So use this body as a, a grandmother and just inviting, including, inviting, including, steadying all the inner agitations and unevenness to settle in. How is that? I think that that is a recipe for unseating the inner tyrant, at least temporarily. Yeah. He finds ways back in, but that certainly throws him off guard for a while. After a while, in my own experience, sometimes I can notice the wiliness of my inner tyrant, or maybe it's inappropriate to even call it mine, but the inner tyrant as I experience it, I can notice the wiliness and just be impressed and laugh at it. That was clever. Well, you know, whatever's necessary, really, but uh, just to get some perspective on that. I think the other element to just keep as a kind of fundamental tool is, you know, how do you feel with this? Just that question itself is already loving kindness. How do you feel? How is that for you? That already is a movement of goodwill rather than, yeah, you idiot. (laughs) And then once you do that, you see you're starting to develop relationship, which again is a huge area in everybody's life. And a lot of it is really messed up. To be clear, you're talking about a relationship with yourself here. You name it, start with yourself because that's your working model where you can do your workshop. 
And then, of course, you can start with it and then you can work with other people. And it's very important to get that relational sense with yourself and with others. Because it means I, I care. Do you care for yourself? Are you a good friend to yourself? Or are you just trying to make yourself jump through hoops and win a race, you know, or, or defend yourself against other people's views and opinions? Can you be good, just a good friend to yourself? And how does it feel? Because if you can't be a good friend to yourself, who else is going to do it? And it doesn't mean you have to say everything you do is wonderful. Then you start to investigate. But always that sense of this is for our welfare to only understand where we lose it. How does an ignorant person get unignorant? By asking questions. This attitude of inner and outer friendliness that we've been talking about, which I think is phenomenal and you talk about it in such a compelling way. There's a phrase that I read from you. It was something that you said that I later read that strikes me as being in the same spirit but I could have been reading it incorrectly. So I'll give you the phrase and you'll tell me if I'm making an appropriate connection here. Here's what you said. You said 80% is the new 100%. <laughs> I'm taking it down to 75. <laughs> <laughs> Some people it's going to be even lower than that. <laughs> <laughs> Just over, over, before, overdoing, overdoing. They've been set. The nervous system, the psychology has been set to continual performance and faster and quicker and stronger and got to get it right sooner, not later, immediately. Full energy, full, and it just set to a pattern of strain. That's become the norm. The norm is strain. They don't even notice it, really, it becomes normal. You see, the thing is, if you're 100% full on, your receptivity is about zilch percent. You're just so full on, you're not really receiving anything at all. You know? And you see people bulldozing their way through life, full of their program, you know, often trying to do good things, but got no time because so busy trying to get things right. And maybe they're even very nice people in their own way, but they can't receive because the receptivity is being obscured by this constant volition to do and make and become. You know, receptivity is essential. So just even receiving your own body. So often when we go into full intention, our focus, our awareness becomes narrowed to only, we focus only on what we're doing. And, and doing becomes the important thing. Now, if there's receptivity, we widen to, you know, I'm doing something, I'm also listening. I'm listening, I'm tuning in. What's happening? How's this? So you've got something that moderates your intention. And this is particularly, I mean, stands out like a sore thumb when you're in a group of people. If people are not tuned into the presence of others in a community, it's very unpleasant. But it's not purely about being a nice person. It's about resetting your, your psychology to one of openness, because in receptivity, there's no goal. You're just receiving. There's no particular, I want to receive this and not that. No, you just enjoying the quality of right now then within that you can select okay this particular frequency if you like this is where it feels more comfortable tune into that this particular frequency feels more aggressive and harsh relax that one so you begin to tune in to the frequencies in which your mind your psychology is operating for the results oriented 
I don't want to talk about those people like I'm not one of them. But for those of us who want 100%, who have goals and believe in those goals, I would imagine you would argue that aiming for 75, aiming for 80 is actually more likely to be the winning strategy. But in other words, how should we do the math on this and still feel good about aiming for 80 or 75 rather than 100? Well, I mean, this is just a little phrase, a slogan. So you start to take it too literally. <laughs> Am I doing 75 or 76? I don't know. Maybe I, right, I'm, not well, very good at, I'm not very good at math, you know. In a time I, can, comes in I can relate. Having named a book 10% happier and now doing a lot of math discussions <laughs> subsequently, I can relate to this problem I've just created for you. Yeah, it's, it's just just a slogan. It means that there's a little bit something a little more playful. It's a tone that's slightly lighter and more playful. You can feel your whole body. Now, when you're, and your body feels comfortable. Now, when you're on a kind of big target, often you go into your head, drop your body altogether, or your body becomes tight, or you just numb out. But to maintain holistic awareness, body is there, and the heart is there. I'm receptive, I'm responsive. I can decide, I can determine where I go, and I'm clear. There's some clear mental faculty there. So the whole thing is there. To keep the whole thing, keep the whole thing as you sit, as you walk, keep the whole thing. And then you'll find there's a balance that occurs by itself. It's natural. There's a balance. When you get the whole thing, the system balances itself. When we're going to imbalance, what happens is one aspect, generally the thinking aspect, takes over and it becomes 80% thinking. No, you don't need 80% thinking to walk them down. You need 5% thinking. <laughs> so, yeah, you can think a bit, but 5% is plenty because all you can do is walk up and down, you know. So get the whole thing, body, space around you, the earth beneath you, that's part of walking. You can't walk because there's no earth beneath you. Feel the space around you. You can't walk because there's no space around you, so be aware of that. Body moving through the space around you, the ground beneath you. Right. That's the most important bit. The heart, interested, receptive, gentle. Work on that. Just a little, you know, steering. And, you know, but I've emphasized the body because until you got into the body, it's unlikely that you'll really have the heart. And this is deeply sad. It's not that people don't have hearts, but they shut off because their heads take over. You've got to calm into your body before you can shake off the domination of the thinking mind. And then the heart starts to peek out. Peek out. How are you doing? Oh, I'm feeling, you know, how is it? You know, is it okay to be here? Yeah, it's okay to be here. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be that good. Just show up. You don't have to get anywhere. Just show up. Nobody's going to blame you or ask you for results. Just show up. Show up in your life. And you won't, then you won't regret it because that, that heart always tells the truth. Even if, it's, even if it's, it tells a truth, it tells you you're frightened. It tells you you're desperate. Doesn't necessarily be comfortable truths, but it will tell you straight. And your thinking mind will say, oh, it's so and so, it's because of their fault, and so and so never respects me. And after all I've done, yuck, 
you know. <laughs> and you would say, look, all that stuff, look, get it down to one word. And that was straight, straight to your heart. What's the one word? Fed up. Angry. Okay, you got it. You nailed it in one. Forget all the details. You're angry, you're upset. Okay, how's that? Not very nice. Okay, how's it like to be with that? It's a bit difficult. So what's necessary now? Just take a breath. Tell me more. Nobody ever responds. Yeah, yeah, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Whereas you could spend hours going into your head, tribunals, mother, father, boss, friends, family, wife, partner, husband, whatever, the, the wrongs they've done me, the wrongs I've done them, the mess the world's in, and you can be there forever. And you could be tribunals and executing people and blaming people and blaming yourself, <laughs> cursing God, whatever. <laughs> and you just you spend whole lifetime in that in that law court dishing out punishment. <laughs> but you want to live in a law court? <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I've been living in a law court a lot recently. Um, so seeing how foolish uh, that strategy is. It's challenging not to get depressed and angry. And then you think, okay, right now, is this going to do you any good? What's needed? Take your precepts about harmlessness, determine harmlessness, you know, determine honesty, stand on it. Breathe it in, I am harmless, I mean no harm. Breathe it in, breathe it out. Embody it, I mean no harm. <sighs> true, true, true. I will tell the truth. I will try to tell the truth. True, true. Okay, take a stand on something you've got some say over. And feel it, you know. And feel it. So these aren't just ideas, you know. Harmlessness, just, just a sense of, you know, the, the urge to, to revenge, trash somebody, get even. Oh, this is not, this is ugly, painful stuff. And feel the quality of harmlessness. Just that one precept alone would save this planet. We really, really took it. Seriously. Coming up, Suchito explains the Buddhist precepts, and he makes a case for the importance of Sangha or community right after this. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the US population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. 
absolutely, positively FedEx. Can you describe the precepts for people who might not know what you're referring to? Well, mm, okay. Well, I mean, you know, in Buddhism anyway, you've got five basic precepts, which is to avoid taking the life of um, other living creatures, breathing creatures. You can eat plants and stuff, you know, and uh, taking anything that isn't given. So there's no sort of surreptitious dealing, swindling, fraud, <laughs> even taking up people's time, you know, Make sure you're always this. Have I got time? It's okay for you. Yeah. Don't abuse people. Don't take a free ride off somebody. Lack of sexual abuse, sexual respect, not just using people. It's got to be mutual, consensual, heartful, refraining from harsh speech, cursing, swearing, lying, gossiping, backbiting, slander, mindless babble. <laughs> And intoxication, intoxicants, alcohol, and narcotics. Says so these aren't these aren't like commandments. These are training rules. I aspire. I undertake to train myself. You know, it does. The harsh word does slip out. I undertake when I've got that standard. I begin to. Oh, mm, that wasn't so. Yes. Where did that happen? You know. So you're looking at some of these things rather than just condoning them and um, aspire aspire to to fulfill that because then you become someone who people can rely upon and you can rely upon yourself people will realize this guy's not going to do a deal on me this guy's not going to bad mouth me behind my back this person is not going to cheat on me and that makes everything much more steady much more secure you know Things settle down, we know where we are, and it's not that complicated. What I hear in there, and what I often hear when people bring up the precepts, is you said not commandments. It's not necessarily some set of externally imposed rigid rules. It really is, pursuing these trainings is in the spirit, if I understand it correctly, of friendliness and compassion toward yourself because you feel better when you're within these guidelines absolutely absolutely the when they're given there's a kind of phrase that is is used after them saying these these precepts are a vehicle to happiness a vehicle to fulfillment a vehicle to liberation because they make you happier your freedom from regret and you have dignity and you have self-respect you don't have bad memories you don't have things you have to hide and so there's a certain happiness also if you, you can do it you know you think, okay well i couldn't solve the world's problems but i could actually today you know somebody's really unpleasant and i didn't attack them verbally i let that one pass good yeah okay you know heart's getting a bit freer from these powerful aggressive reflexes that we have as human beings powerful manipulative we're manipulators we're monkeys we're aggressive with baboons. So we can that aspect of our psychology can easily take over any one of us. You know? It's wired in. So, so you know, you begin to know go to another set of values that helps the energy to shift into I hold and bear this conscience and concern for my welfare and for your welfare. You do not need to fear me. 
I will not slander you. I will not put you down. You do not need to fear me. Therefore, trust can arise between us. This is beautiful. This is open. This is where we can really enjoy each other. This is happy. I want to be sensitive to your time. Let me just ask you a few questions. And this is kind of open-ended. Is there something that you were hoping I would ask that I failed to ask? <laughs> There's a few things. I'm glad you didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer to that question I've ever heard because I've asked it many times. <laughs> no, it's practically getting to the point, really. Let's talk about getting on as a human being. It's about community. I think I'd like to mention that, you know, one of the what's called the triple gem in Buddhism. You've got Buddha, which means basically the quality of awakening, enlightenment, Dhamma, which is the teaching, and Sangha, which is the community of those who cultivate and practice. This is an essential, so essential, this word Sangha, because this is our workshop, really, is the workshop of community. Where we, how else are you going to see your blind spots unless someone compassionately points them out? How else are you going to get your, your support unless somebody else listens to you? How else can you enjoy your life except you're having agreeable friends? How else are you going to get on without some sense of cooperation and harmony? Sangha is an enormously important. It's not just the kind of classical Buddhist monk thing. It means the spirit of cooperation and community in right endeavor, in right precepts, in right attitude, the community of true practice in that respect. You know, and just think, if you had like, how many billions of people are on this planet? Seven? Coming up eight? Hey, what about if we like cooperated? Just like, hey, we're humans. Can we cooperate? We all suffer. We all struggle. We'll get frightened. We'll get annoyed. We'll get angry. Yeah, we want to just be happy. We want to look after our kids. Let's get down to it. You know, just get on and stop chopping it up into bits and pieces that wrangle with each other. Who's best? You know, once you get into supremacy, you're deadly. You know, and that's the, one of the banes of human beings is to think we're supreme. Because once you get supreme, then you've got to say, who's more supreme? I'm more supreme than an earthworm. No, you're not. Earthworm is much more important to the planet than you are. A bumblebee is much more important to the world from the planet than a human being. Human beings are pretty useless, really. And all this stuff that goes on and different religions are the supreme, and it always creates murder and abuse and so could you just give up the idea of supremacy and just say, look, I'm just a worm like you and let's get on? <laughs> and this is a really powerful thing because you just realize we're so attuned to the best, being the best, getting on top. And this is deadly stuff. And it's so pervasive. It just corrodes the true beauty of the heart to embrace compassion, embracing, enjoying each other for what we are. One last question for you. If people want to learn more about you, read your books, booklets, listen to your talks, maybe go on retreat with you when, when retreats are back in action in a more robust way, where can they look? Well, they can look at my website, ajansuchito.org. That's my website. That's where I put things where I'm going and being. And really, you know, no. It's important they know more about themselves. They don't really know too much about me, but if I can help them to know themselves, that's that's a privilege. Well, it's been a privilege to spend some time with you. I'm very grateful to you for making uh, making yourself available. Thank you. 
Okay. Wonderful, Dan. Yeah, great. Well, that 10% must have gone up to 11 or 12 by now. Keep working at it. You're getting there. But 80, 80 is definitely good enough. You don't want to get too happy. I promise you it's not going to go north of 80. Thanks again to Ajahn Suchito. Really appreciate that. Thank you as well to all the people who work so hard on this show. Samuel Johns, Gabrielle Zuckerman, DJ Kashmir, Justine Davy, Kim Baikama, Maria Wortel, and Jen Poyant with our audio engineering aces over at Ultraviolet Audio. We'll see you all on Wednesday, and we're going to talk about a really deep approach to time management. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.